When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red Extra Time. It's yet another international break, meaning Nottingham Forest have time to take stock and we can do the same. Joining me to discuss hopefully some interesting topics and take a few of your questions. I'm joined, first of all, by Reds fan Michael Temple. Temps, good morning. Alfresco on the move. How are you? Morning, shouts. Greetings from the car park. Good, good to have you with us, giving up your time. And our second guest today is Reds fan Mark Southern. So you probably know from our FPL shows, but he's also a big Forest fan. So good to have Mark with us. Mark, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, my tech failed me, so I've got the iPad off the bench to to rescue this. So I'm delighted to be here. Well, as we were saying before we started recording, uh, Temps is in his car and Gary does the podcast with a shirt that matches his wallpaper and a phone in his crotch. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. You've got a good setup. Um, Actually, we'll just start because obviously you've done episodes before, but you're probably new Mm. to a few people who will be watching and listening to this. Uh, I know I said this last time, but you've got the Southern accent, but you do have a forest story. So without making you tell it in full again, we just regale us with your forest background. Yeah, I mean, originally, shamefully, I was an Arsenal fan when I was about five, when I knew nothing about it. And at that point, everything was read in my bedroom because I was, I was into the football without really knowing what Arsenal was on then. I think only because they had a gun on their badge, right? So I was big on the badges. And then my dad was a Fulham fan. And I think my mum used this mug, this Arsenal must wash my hair. She smashed it. And my dad went, right, he's got to change his team now. And I said, but they've got to wear red. And then he showed me two badges of teams that were doing well in red at the time. Liverpool. And forest and i chose forest on the tree basically so when we celebrated that badge not long ago that badge played a big part in me choosing forest as my team but my family other side of my family are up there as well so i do have connections he had a yes. coin flip between forest and liverpool and he's been tortured I, ever since don't 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 i don't want to think about that no i'm pleased i'm supportive forest but it, you know, i went through a period obviously when we were the superior team and we were the powerhouse but then yeah liverpool took over but don't regret it. It's been more interesting, I'm sure, as a Forest fan. True. And your, uncle, and your <laughs> uncle goes to games with you or something as well. Occasionally. Yeah, my cousin my cousin goes. And um, I hadn't seen them for years. And I ran into them a uh, year before last at the Swansea game, the Sam Savage hat-trick. And I hadn't seen them for 20 years. So it, it kind of brought the family together. So it was a nice story. Good. Well, good to have you with us. Hopefully you'll be uh, a regular in the weeks and months to come. Uh, A few topics on the agenda today, away from what we discussed on Monday, although there is some James Ward-Price references for Temps' benefit after the loving on Monday. (laughs) But we'll start with just looking generally at the next six games. We've got four at home. Uh, We've got Brighton and Everton at home, Fulham away, Wolves away, Tottenham at home. And then Bournemouth away, take us into Christmas. So only one of the, you know, you say the big clubs in Tottenham. It could be not not season defining, but it potentially could be Cooper defining, Mark, couldn't it? Because we need some results in the next few weeks. Yeah, don't say that. I mean, we had this at the start of the season when we saw the fixtures come out, and we were like, "Oh, that looks that looks difficult," because we don't want the pressure on Steve early doors. Um, it didn't happen. We navigated through that largely to the Chelsea win, 
yeah, this run is going to be pivotal, though, when you look at it. Um, I don't think we've got another run like it throughout the season where we've got four games chained together that look look winnable um, and we should get points from these. And I also look at the fact that, you know, at the moment, the squad looks strong in terms of injuries. They're starting to clear. Um, if Aaron E keeps together, then I'm confident we can get points out of this run. Brighton look beatable at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Matoma's got an injury. He's just withdrawn from international duty. We're not sure if that's like a phantom injury or whether that's true. But if he misses out, then that's a big factor. Um, they've already got injuries, of course. So I, I do fancy us against Brighton at home. We turned them over last season. That was a big victory in our run-in. And then Everton at home. Everton are travelling really well this season. I, I think they're a threat. And we've got to watch set plays because we've just been exposed to that by a certain West Ham player we won't mention. <laughs> and, um, and then Fulham away, Wolves away. Again, you look at those two games and... We are looking more solid away from home. We do look as though we've gotten a pattern of play that can get us points away from home. We've already done it, of course. And Fulham and Wolves are sides that I think we can have some joy against. So this is a, a very, very significant part of the season. Um, but we are, you know, despite the defeat of West Ham, I think in good shape to take it on. How are you feeling about it, Temps? Mark mentions you know, one year's key. Brighton have got a few issues. There's, there's teams with issues, but we have issues as well. It feels like a succession of games that could go either way for us. Yes, it's moving time, isn't it? I think we, we could we could take points off all of those teams. Um, not a terrible time to, to play Spurs with their um, injury and suspension situations. One or two of our guys getting towards that um, five five yellow card mark. We should be aware of that. But you've, you've called that the, the key selection is Tyro Wanyi. I just feel so much better about our chances of scoring goals um, when he's when he's in the team at the minute. Ended his duck, but he, he's made decent impact since he's been back. I hope this isn't Cooper defining, which is the phrase you used at the outset, because I'm still firmly in the in the Cooper in camp. And I, I really hope this is a period now. He's had enough time on the training ground to impose a style that we want to play um, to get the right blend out of the, um, the midfield in particular. Um, that ongoing debate around centre defence is is, is going to be a, a biggie, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm confident. Um, that that we we could feasibly get four to six points from these consecutive home games, and that will create a far rosier outlook. Do you see anything, Mark, in the theory that we are better against better teams, and where we can sit in still and hit them? We're not deep; they're not like super deep lying now, but we can sit in and hit them on the break, like a Brighton or a Spurs. Does that favour us potentially still? Yeah, I think it does. I think um, just naturally we're going to have less possession and we're better with less possession and trying to control the game without the ball and and, and counter. That's our game, right? That's the way Cooper wants us to play. Um, and so, you know, when a team comes to the city ground who naturally adopt that style like Brighton will, then it's going to play into our hands, I would hope. Um, I think Everton, Everton will be the... I think looking at the fixtures, Everton at home will probably be the hardest, in my opinion, because I think they will turn up They'll be wise to that. They've got the set plays. They've got pace and on the break. They've got a centre-forward in Calvert-Lewin who can probably cause us issues. So of the four games, I think that one looks the one that looks the diciest. Because, um, and I think as well, when you talk about Cooper, it's the home matches that are crucial. And I think that while we're forgiving of, of letting games go like we did at West Ham, I think if we slipped up at home to Everton, that would really put the pressure on. So... That's the one I'm worried about most. I think at Fulham and Wolves, yeah, similarly, I think Fulham and Wolves will look to have more possession and, and that could play into our strength. So 
I'm, I'm optimistic about three of the four games. It's just that Everton one, which I think is the uh, potential banana skin. Mm. Everton was a nightmare last season, Temps, wasn't it? We we really showed our frailties there. You know, a flick on from a punt into the box and stuff like that. We, we, we've we shown that weakness again at the weekend. We need to eradicate it, don't we? Similar frustration because we scored a good goal in that game, didn't we? And and, and looked at times to be in, in complete control. So, I mean, that the narrative of the past few days has been consistent from all Forest fans. We look sharper going forward. We've got Taiwo in decent form, and we have enough creativity um, in those in and around him um, to to score to score goals. You are backing us to score now, even on the road, and we're back at that point of of trying to find some uh, defensive solidity. But I don't think that's necessarily from the defensive selection. Now it's about set pieces, which has to be the focus of training this week. Um, if it if it wasn't already, because it's a, a, an obvious uh, weakness that the opposition will be looking to to um, to to exploit when they when they play against. But yeah, there was some frustration in that Everton game last year. I'm still still scarred by that a little bit, uh, and one or two others too. I'm interested that Mark says that. I just think that any any home game uh, is by 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 form uh, since since we we returned to the Premier League, we we are far superior at, at home um, as opposed to on the road. So I'm probably putting more emphasis and more importance on those two home games and forgiving us a little bit more um, on the road at, at, at Wolves and, and Fulham. But yeah, Mark's absolutely right in, in terms of the makeup of those those sides, but there still is a massive advantage to be gained from playing at the City ground. Yeah, just, oh, on, just on the set piece, sorry, Matt, just on the set pieces, I think you're spot on. It, it is a weakness and, and one stat that I took from the West Ham game, we allowed War Prowse more crosses than any other team so far this season. We, we conceded nine corners and he had 13 crosses. And that was what worries me in that we talked, or you talked a lot about um, the problems that the set plays in terms of the desire shown, maybe the marking. But we didn't do enough to cut it off at source. I mean, conceding the most crosses to War Prowse when surely going into the game, we knew that was the danger. I looked at the two teams and thought it was very balanced. It was a very even contest. And we were like for like in most areas of the pitch. The one area they were so superior was War Prowse. He was a factor that his set pieces can be the difference against any team. So we must have gone into that game going, watch for that. Let's be wary of it. And yet of all the teams they played, we've given him the most opportunities. I was trying to explain this to David Brutton and he kicked my head in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Mark's got the stats to back it up. That's the difference. Um, Good to have lots of people with us. Uh, Derek, Dan, Derek in North Carolina, Tom, Miles, uh, Warren, who's going to the Brian game, Kev, Another Dan, and another Derek. There's a lot of Derek's around. Yeah, but good to have you all with us anyway. Uh, do do us a favour and uh, drop a like on and subscribe if you haven't. We very much appreciated. Looking at a few individual players then. One player we didn't discuss on Monday, Temps, was Serge Aurier. I went back and watched the highlights again because a few people were in the comments saying Aurier was poor on one of the goals. I, I must admit I missed just like how static and flat-footed he was. Obviously not for the first time because there was the Luton incident. I thought he got caught out at Man City for one of, for Haaland's header. Where's RA at? Do you think at the moment? Because Olerena looks pretty nailed now. 
it's a different Serge Aurier to the one that we were seeing last season who disproved all of the Tottenham doomsayers about his sporadic form, um, about the passiveness, about the mistakes that he had in possession. He produced consistently strong form, particularly towards um, the end of last season, got himself into that leadership group. He's captain Forrest on, on a few occasions and for me looked absolutely inked in um, to be the to be the starting right back. And he's, he's been surpassed now um, by, by Olerena, who but for that um, lazy uh, back pass to uh, Vlakodimos in the in, in the previous game has been rock solid, has lived up to his billing as a as a great one v one defender, and just has that pace, agility, and the ability to to read um, the, the the opposition wingers' movements. Montiel hasn't come to the fore yet, so the importance of Serge Aurier was was there for all to see, but he's not getting in the side on form. And the the clip that you and I will have will have seen from the weekend goes back to the start of last season when Forest defence was, yes, deep and compact. And when the low block came in, we did see results, but at times extremely passive. And that's that seems to be a, a symptom of Serge Aurier's play at the minute. If he's going to surpass Olerena and get back in this side, he needs to make impact from the bench. His bench, his bench impact has been really, really poor. And it's on merit that he now finds himself out of the side. I think the best of Serge Aurier starts every week needs to recapture that form because he's been a different player this season to what he was last and I fear for him in the sense that Olerena has proved to be a more than uh, more than adequate replacement he's flown on under the radar a little bit in terms of Premier League potential Premier League ability but there's a reason why Serie A clubs backed him there's a reason why he did so well on loan so young in the championship and I, I think he's managed to edge past Serge Aurier he needs to have a word of himself and recapture the form that he found last season mm. What's your take on Aurier Mark? I mean there was a lot of talk and we thought he'd probably go to Saudi in the summer he's in the final year of a, of a contract extension does it feel like maybe his time's moving away or are you backing him to, to get back in ahead of Aina? Yeah, I mean, I think it's harsh on him because I think he was such a key figure last season and, and he has transformed as a player to become that reliable defender that at Spurs we didn't see that often. So he's been brilliant for us, there's no doubt, but I think the the Olerena situation, he's just getting stronger. He's made two attacking contributions now. The goal, obviously, against Villa and a fine assist at West Ham. So it's just his comfort on the ball and you know, his ability to um, break against the press as well. He's, 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 he, I think he's got the edge on Uriah in that respect. And I think that, at the moment, gives him the, gives him the shirt. Um, defensively, I, you know, I think it's closer. I think Uriah has, has shown that he can be a, a, like a, a mainstay in our defence um, in terms of his qualities he brings there. But Aina's prone to an error, we've seen it. But I think just comfort on the ball going forward, Aina has the edge. So I don't think Uriah is getting back in at the moment in that system um, because we've got you know good width in Aina and Toffolo providing some service. And as we've seen, he did just that. And Uriah, for me, one thing that I've always questioned about, about is his end product. He can produce, you know, he produced the crosses for Chris Wood, if you remember, in the, in the Sheffield United game. And, and, you know, at times he has delivered on that front, but I think he's also been disappointing in, in occasions as well. So I, I think at the moment, Uriah's struggling to get back in. When he does get his opportunities, he's got to take them, but he certainly didn't do that at West Ham. Mm. Just a couple of follow-ups on Aurier. Um, one from the comments, but I'll come to the, this other one first. Aurier only signed a one-year deal, Temps. Is he already at the stage where we need to be offering him uh, you know, probably a rise and certainly a contract extension to keep him at the club? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know what he's, what, what salary level he's on because I, I don't think he um, came in as anything other than a, an understudy. I think there was an obvious advantage that he's comfortable at right back and left back, and he profiles slightly differently to the defenders that we already had. But I'm, I'm sold as, as on Olorena. I'd, I'd be looking to extend his deal by um, at, at least two years, and and if a, a raise in finance is required to do that, then then so be it. I, th- I think he's. Um, more than more than adequate. I think there's more improvement to come, and the manner in which he slotted that first goal against Villa um, suggests that he's a good all-round footballer. Far more to come from him. Let's tie him down. Mm-hmm. Um, you can answer that, Mark, as well. But also, I'll throw this one to you. A good one I hadn't thought of from Greg in the comments about Nico's done well off the bench, and Temps talks about minutes off the bench and making an impact. Maybe Nico's actually better suited to be you know, the sub that comes on at right or left back instead of Ori, do you think? Yeah, he's a bit of a forgotten man, isn't he? And and I think he's a bit of a mystery. When we were making the signings in the summer, I looked at him and thought, well, they're setting up for three at the back and win-backs. We must be. I mean, we haven't talked about Tavares yet. His signing in particular for me indicated that we were going to go three centre-backs and play wing-backs. And that made sense with the number of full-backs that we had in Williams, Montiel, Uriye and Aina as well, with Williams and Aina being able to play both sides. It looked as though we were so well stocked in those areas, it must be that we were going to have some rotation, play wing-backs, make substitutions in those areas late in the game. It hasn't turned out like that because we've settled, it seems, into a, a back four. And now all of a sudden we've just got excess here and, and players like Uri and Williams can't get into the side. I, I don't think that Williams defensively is as sound as the other options that we've got. I think he is that utility man who can play either side and come on late in a game and bring some energy to, onto the pitch. I don't think he's a starter at the moment. But I think he is unfortunate because the system that I thought we were going to go with for the entire season isn't there. And I don't, I don't see it coming back. Mm-hmm. That leads nicely into, or well, just a little bit on Toffolo. I mean, he's caught throwing the cat amongst the pigeons, really, in a sense, hasn't he, Temps? Because there's no way he was, I mean, he was like fourth choice left back, and now he's done so well, he, he's very much meriting his place. So that kind of prevents a switch to wing backs as well. You've got to give a lot of credit to Toffolo. Is he, is he good enough to hold the place for you, do you think? His place in the side at the minute is, is completely merited. And he's he's the winner in exactly the situation that that Mark described. So we we go out to to recruit, expecting to play um, a back five and and two in the middle. All of a sudden, Sangare, uh, Mangala, and Dominguez become un, undroppable, and Murillo emerges. Cooper feels he can play two centre halves, and that the whole system unfolds from there or evolves rather from there so Nico Williams a big victim of that he was brought in as the the like for like um Jed Spence um at least we thought he was when we were making that that acquisition and now we're seeing classic fullbacks required in a in a in a back four which seems pretty set in perhaps all but um the the very best sides of the uh, when we play against the very best sides in the Premier League so yeah proud of Toffolo actually because he was he was written off almost as soon as he arrived he he let us in a little bit more in his pre-match interview against West Ham um when he he spoke about mental health struggles rather than just you know wasting a grand on an act at the weekend he kind of made that leap that he was he was having some challenges of his own spoke spoke very openly uh, about that and now he feels born again and you, you've got a happy settled player who's back in the side playing week in week out in the premier league when perhaps he anticipated um a, a ban a lengthy ban 
disrailing, derailing his, his football career, let alone his standing at, at Forest. And now we're seeing the very best of him. Knowing what going forward, I think some of his delivery, um, his cross for the one-year chance against West Ham, his vision to, to lay on um, Aina for the uh, the opener. In fact, both both goals against Aston Villa. There's a remarkable simplicity to, to Harry Toffolo's game. And I'm sure debate, debate Morgan Gibbs-White at some point and his, his um, tendency to overcomplicate things. Harry Toffolo sees a pass and plays it. There's nothing particularly complicated about the assist that he's made, but they were effective. He keeps things simple. He does the job that he's asked to very, very well. And for me, he'll keep that place at left back on merit as long as we play a back four. Mm. He surprised me because I thought he was going to be one of those players that's top end championship, not quite decent Premier League. But he's come in and he looks very defensively solid. And as Temp says, he's good going forwards. I mean, uh, on Sunday, Mark, Mohamed Kudus was a very a big test, kind of a uh, a rising star in the Premier League. Well, I thought he's West Ham's best player, but he, he held his own against him, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think this was my fear when when he broke into the side, Toffolo. And I think we went to Liverpool. I was worried about how he would handle Salah because everyone seemed to struggle against Salah. Obviously, he's world class, but he, I, I don't think he was too exposed in that game. And against Kudos, he was excellent. I thought so. I don't think any defensive frailties are there to see at the moment. And I've never had a question about him going forward. He got like double figures for assists with Huddersfield. He was always a fullback that brought you something in the final third. And we've seen it. I, it, it Temps is absolutely right. That that vision for the Aina goal against Villa in particular, I don't think enough, he got enough credit for that because it was, you know, Mangal, um, it was Alanga who stretched to play, cut it back. But Toflo's vision to see Aina coming in from the right flank. It was there to be admired. And also, like, the, the pace he puts on his crosses, let's not forget he set up the Dominguez header earlier in the season as well. A really well-placed uh, cross. He just seems to have that that composure in the final third to find that quality pass. You know, and, he, and I think he's one of our best exponents of that in the entire team, let alone from the back. So, yeah, he's, he, he's got to be a starter at the moment. There's no doubt. Uh, let's move on to a slightly different topic. Um, actually, I mean, uh, Temps mentioned Morgan Gibbs-White. I know he's still the big topic of the week, so let's talk around him a little bit. One of the questions is, Temps, what happens when, you know, Hudson Adoy's fit, Danilo's fit again and could play that role? Is his place back under pressure now? Well, the one you add to that is Nico Dominguez was dragged at half-time in anger after a, a series of pretty high-profile high mistakes in the game. So, so could that luxury playmaker role come free again in the centre that Gibbs-White would hold as his best position? Look, there's no doubting he's, he's out of form at the minute. And for all of the um, stats that Sky ordered and I repeated um, in light of the, the West, West Ham game, he's got one assist and no goals this season. And for a player that's been back to become um, the heartbeat of the side, that level of output is not enough. The back heel out of play was symptomatic, perhaps, of a, a, a pressure that he feels sometimes to, to overcomplicate things. But I'll repeat the point I made before, and it's an important one um, in, in Toffolo's style of play. Morgan Gibbs-White has a certain vision and range of passing that is far more valuable to this side than him trying to do three three scissors and a, and a back heel. He can execute a pass, the timing of the pass, the weight of the pass, whatever it needs to be, to thread in the players that he has in and around him. He's got better minders in the side than he's ever had in Mangala and Sangare. He's got better pace in the side, uh, as good as pace as he's had in the side with, with Alanga, who I'd, I'd back against Brennan Johnson in a in a foot race. If Hudson Odoi plays and he's got two wingers and he's in the 10 slot, he's got everything he needs to, to succeed. I don't know if he's trying too hard. 
I got shot down yesterday uh, talking to Charlie McParland, um, suggesting that he's probably just exhausted after having a, 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 a baby on Tuesday and may not have slept in the, the interim period. But we need more from Morgan Gibbs-White. And the frustration from Forest fans comes because we know it's within him. We know what the best of Morgan Gibbs-White brings to the side. We're just not seeing it at the minute. I think he's slightly unsettled by being put in Brennan Johnson's position without possessing the, the, the type of weaponry that Brennan Johnson had. Cooper wants to keep him in the side. He's having to be a make-weight on the right-hand side to do that. He doesn't seem quite comfortable and something needs to change so we can get the best out of him. Look, I'm backing him. I think he's got um, a, a long-term future at Forest because he's experiencing a period of indifferent form at this moment in time. I suppose with better players around him, there's an argument it should free him up to deliver more, but he's still bedding in. I mean, we've all had a say on Walker Gibbs White on this podcast, except for you, Mark. So where are you at on him? He's got to be in the eleven. He's got to play because he brings us that something different. He's he's the player, he's the spark, he's the creative spark, there's no doubt. So I've got I, I have him in my eleven every time. I think Cooper's struggling to find a role for him. That's the problem. I think the midfield three, just going back to that, they're just too solid. I don't think we can disrupt that. And just a word on Dominguez, who got flat for the mistake. At the moment, if you look at midfielders with five hundred minutes or more, so regular starters in midfield, only Polina at Fulham, who's probably a standout uh, defensive midfielder in the Premier League, only Polina's won more tackles and had more tackles than Dominguez this season. And in fact, Dominguez has won a higher percentage of his tackles than Polina, 78%. Now, that has gone unnoticed because we almost see Dominguez as a box-to-box midfielder. But actually, as a defensive midfielder, he's been very successful, second only for Polina since he's come into the side. So I think he's too important to take out and because he's playing that role with Mangala and Sangawe. And, and one of the things that I really liked on against West Ham was the combination of Mangala yeah, disrupting the West Ham midfield, Sangari winning the ball and then setting Gibbs White on his way. The, the Sangari-Mangala partnership, we can't break that up either. So I think that three, that three midfielders have got to stay and we've got to get Gibbs White closer to Aaron E because he's out on the flank, that's not happening. I think a couple of times this season, we've seen Cooper tweak it where he's definitely brought Gibbs White in behind Aaron E more and sacrificed that width. And I think that's how we've got to start matches. I think, you know, we've, we're going to play either Alanga or hudson Adoy out wide. I don't see both of those starting. And I see Gibbs-White taking one of the flank roles, but he needs to be tucked more inside, closer to Aaron e. That's where he can do the damage. You saw it We saw it at West Ham where it was his shot that obviously fell to Aaron e. That's the positions we need him in, inside the fullback on that centre-back, looking for those through balls when we turn over possession. And as I've just said, Dominguez, Mangala, Sangare, they are players who are turning the ball over and winning us possession. Looking up, we don't have Johnson's pace, but we do have Gibbs White and Aaron E. And it's just Gibbs White is too peripheral at the moment. He's, he's starting positions too wide and we need him closer to Aaron E. That's where we unlock the best of Gibbs White. Are you taking him off set pieces? That was the discussion we had on Monday. Yeah, I think for set pieces, for me, there's no variety there. We need Toffolo and Gibbs White over the ball. So, so the defence doesn't know what to expect. At the moment, they see Gibbs White behind it. They know it's going to be the, the, the in-swinger and, and, you know, it's going to be right-footed delivery. And it's just too choreographed. It's just too obvious, I think. When you put Toffolo over the ball as well and you've got that variation, we might have more success. And and when you've got Toffolo in the side, you're wasting him if you're not putting him on set pieces, I think, because he's got that delivery. 
um, and therefore is crying out for that. I'm not saying take Gibbs White off them. I'm just saying put them both on them, introduce a bit of variety to get the opponent to think about it because at the moment it's just too predictable I think mm, yeah no I think that's a good shout I've not thought of that even if yeah, Toflo takes two a game or something I think that would yeah. shake out that's true that's true uh, if you're liking this video do uh, do us a favour and subscribe there's 250 people with us which is great uh, on uh, something you're laughing at my graphics it's so amateurish because you yeah, do black get, and you've got amazing graphics I'll get you a better one mate I'll sort you out with that <laughs> actually yeah actually I'll give a plug for Mark because if anyone plays FPL uh, uh, he does FPL black box podcast uh, so do watch that it's slicker than this operation uh, certainly, and that's how he's armed with all these stats. Certainly, <laughs> what are you laughing at? You're, you are saying a car, so it's true. Well, it's kind of it's kind of gleefully disarming, isn't it? You're like the the lack of self congratulation that you have. But I just, I just Mark's ashamed of your graphics. There, he's far too polite to say it, and he's still pulling out Dominguez stats <laughs> that are in of themselves world world class. So I just have a little chuckle at that. But yeah, time for new graphics, Davis. I know, I know. Well, yeah, there definitely <laughs> will be some coming. Don't worry, there will be. Um, just touch on Danilo as well. We sort of discussed him a little bit on um, Monday. I went back and watched the highlights, and Don Goodman was saying he made a really big impact at the start of the second half. And he did, because he he uh, held the ball up and played, I think it was a Langer attempt when they played that 1-2 with a 1-1 yeah. he should have scored. And he had a hand in the goal. So he did have these moments. He doesn't look quite back to where he was last season for me. But like Mark says, he's got such a problem. So you're not breaking up that back three. We've already said Gibbs White needs to play. You need the pace for Langer. So what do we do with Danilo? Does he have to just bide his time till AFCON, which we'll come on to? Well, he needs to jump in when there's a one-match suspension off the back of totting up, doesn't he? The, the five yellow card thing is going to affect the, the central midfield three. So that's that's Danilo's in. And he has to, to grab the chance. He's so dynamic. He offers He offers a bit of everything. And I think, as I said before, that's that's why he's ahead of Yatesy for the, as, as the next cab off the rank um, in, in that position. Just needs a spark, you know. When his, his swell of form last year, his spell of goal scoring um, last year was was consistent, wasn't it? He was one of the first names on the team sheet in and in around that period where he was scoring goals and Forrest got the points. So he's himself away from the from the drop zone. So there's a plan for Danilo. He's probably in that Brennan Johnson spot as being the next saleable asset, if it's not Murillo, that, that needs to attract 30, 40, 45 million quid to allow that the current Forest um, recruitment model to to continue. But he's only going to do that if he's in the side uh, and, and playing well. I'm, I'm backing him to get in the side in the next three or four games, um, either on the back of form or on the back of a, a yellow card suspension for, for, some, for somebody else. And he needs to put on a put on a showing because he can win. He can live with the level. He can win games with Forest, and he can be more of a goal scoring threat from centre mid. Mm. He's got such a high ceiling, hasn't he, Mark? I mean, I'd say ceilings. I love Mangala this season, but in terms of monetary value uh, and what he can do on the pitch, Danilo probably is above him and and above Dominguez as good as Dominguez has been. Like Danilo is the one that could be worth fifty million quid and be a match winner. He just needs time and a bit of maturity, I guess, to, to deliver. Yeah, I mean, he was much coveted before he arrived at the City Realm, wasn't he? There were a lot of teams watching him. So he had a reputation. Um, I know Arsenal were monitoring him earlier. Um, so I think he is a very sellable asset in a few seasons. I don't, I'd like to think we'll get a few more seasons out of him. For me, I struggle to define what he is because I think when he arrived, there was a feeling that he was a deep-lying playmaker. He played deep and set up mm. play with his passing. He's got the vision to do that. But I think in that role, 
he's been caught out a few times. He's he's dwelt on the ball and he or he's been slack with his passing, and he's put us in trouble when playing deeper. And then we saw the tail end of last season in playing further forward, and he got those vital goals. He, he played a massive part in keeping us up. He surprised me with the with the composure he showed in the penalty area to take those chances. And that made us think that perhaps he's more a box-to-box, maybe a number eight. I think that's probably the role that we have him in going forward. So I think when the suspensions come, Dominguez will drop back and Danilo will take that spot, that one that's further forward and the closest to supporting Awani down the middle. Um, but I just, I still think long-term we're not... We, it's a bit like Gibbs White. We don't know what his role is yet in our 11. If he breaks into 11, where does he play? What function and role does he play? I think Cooper's got to figure that out as well. So he's a puzzle, I think, as well. Mm. And we haven't, we, we normally mention Andre Santos. We haven't mentioned him on this podcast. Um, Mark mentioned Tavares, two loan signings who weren't even in the squad. Tavares is one they'll have to buy temps if he plays a certain number of games. It's probably pretty low, knowing how Forrest have done these loan deals. Do you think we might even have seen the end of Tavares already, potentially? Neither of those players are anywhere near it, unfortunately. It probably takes um, three injuries or suspensions for Andre Santos to get um, game time at Forest at this moment in time. And Tavares is uh, another victim of the back four and the rise of, of Harry Toffolo. So I can answer this one really quickly. I think they probably both depart in January. Mm. What about you, Mark? Yeah, I mean, Santos is odd, isn't it? I think I can't help but think that was just a safety net in case we didn't get Sangaro. And that's that's the way it's turned out. Uh, he's, I don't think he's near the 11. It, I mean, it, Chelsea fans will say he's an incredible talent and it's a real waste. And I haven't seen enough of him to, to uh, go against that. So I think it is a shame for the player. And obviously Chelsea aren't getting what they need from it. So I think Temps is right. He'll, he'll go back. Tavares is a strange one. I think he's not a, he's not a left back in a back four. There's no way he's good enough to do that. What he is, is a, is a marauding wing-back. And when he arrived, I was really positive about his signing. So I thought that was the system we were going to go with. And in that system, Tavares can be a weapon, but it's not going to happen while we're playing a back four. So, yeah, I'm with Temps. They're both going back, I think, in January. Hmm. Uh, we'll be here for another 10 minutes or so, maybe 15. So we'll take some questions if uh, anyone's got any. There's, there's plenty of people watching. So if you've got some, drop some in. Uh, while we do that, we'll just touch on one more topic around AFCON. I mean, we mentioned it briefly last week, um, but we've got seven players, Temps, who could go. Um, they play for some of the biggest countries. They could potentially miss four Premier League games and, and two FA Cup games if they go all the way. Uh, I don't think they're going to miss that many, but, you know, say Ivory Coast make the final, you know, that's uh, Sangare, Aurier, and I think there's two others off the top of my head who I've forgotten, but uh, concerned or not, well, yeah, it's going to impact the spine of the team, isn't it? Taiwo, Sangare, uh, Bolly in particular. Uh, I, I think that's that's a that's a real real miss. But it's opportunity for others, and it's why we carry these squads of twenty five. And the the debates that we have around team selection just become that little bit more complex. Um, thankfully, with uh, with geography, Brazil won't be competing in that tournament, and we'll perhaps see those those guys uh, come to the fore, come to the fore even more. So, yeah, look, one, one man's uh, disappearance from Forest is another man's opportunity, and you know, necessity is the mother of invention. The reason why we found some of the pairings combinations that did so well last year was because of the teams we selected for games like Spurs in the Cup. 
and what was supposed to be rest and rotation uh, became a selection which stuck even when players became came back into into contention. So there'll be there'll be winners from this, and players will emerge um, and and succeed and see this opportunity, be biding their time, waiting for this moment when they get on the plane, so they can uh, jump into the frame and, and and hopefully carry on with the form that Forest find. Um, by by that point, need to keep Chris Woodfit, for example. He's going to be crucial in, in the in the continuity of the style of play when when Tyro Tyro disappears and the disappearance of of Sangari will will certainly allow for allow for us to see the best defensive quali- uh, qualities of, of Dominguez uh, and p- perhaps Danilo coming coming back into the side. So yes, it'll be a problem, but the depth. Uh, and the strength of the next three or four players into the side don't concern me anywhere near as much as they would have done last season. Mm. Uh, let's move into some questions then. Uh, just a comment, say Mark's doing a good job. So uh, from Emma, <laughs> there you go, Mark. I'm sure you're happy to be receiving praise. It's better yeah. than criticism. <laughs> so thanks for that, Quite Emma. The iPad, um, that's good. <laughs> yeah, when, when Mark's on next time, he's got an amazing setup. So, uh, but... Yeah, like I say, Temps in his car, so it's not really relevant. But no, uh, it's good to have Mark with us. Let's go to uh, who else will we offload in January? Robin asks. I suppose Mark McKenna kind of stands out. There's a few other fringe players that are nowhere near it. Joe Wall hasn't been in the squad for the last two games. Are there going to be some departures, or with Afcon, are we going to have to carry this big squad still? I guess that's going to depend a lot on whether there's any incoming as well. And I do, I do wonder. We showed a lot of interest in young strikers, potential long-term options in in the summer. Um, there was a lot of discussion around several Brazilians, surprise, surprise, um, who, who could come in to kind of deputise for Aaron E. And I do wonder whether that's on the cards again, whether we'll go back and, and, and try for one of them. Because the of all the AFCON situations that we've got, and I think we're one of the most heavily affected teams, the Aaronee thing is the one that really worries me. Yes, we're going to lose Niakato Sengare, but I think Temps is right. You know, the signings we made in the summer were all about squad depth, and we've got that now. When you look at the 25, I'm far less worried than I was last season uh, about that. So I think with Niakate and Sengare, I think we've got options to come in and, and do the job. With Aaronee, yes, I think Chris Wood has um, got the monkey off his back with the two goals against Luton, but I do worry that it, that is a bigger jump. You know, losing our knee and replacing with Wood, there's a there's, there's a there's a gap there between um, what the two players bring. I'm afraid. So, I do wonder if we're going to go back in for um, a striker option in January. Whether the, whether there's the funds there, whether um, FFP will allow it, I don't know. So, I think the incoming may affect who goes out. McKenna is sellable. There's no doubt. I think there are teams in Scotland who would want him. He's still getting international recognition. Um, there are championship sides who would take him as well in a heartbeat. I'm sure. Um, I guess there's Kurati as well who slipped down the, the pecking order who could go out and we talked about OEA too so there's there's three or four I think would, would be potential to move on but I think it will depend on the business we're going to do in terms of bringing players in mm. um, A couple of people asking about a striker we could sign, the name that was most prominent was um, Mateus Nascimento I think yeah. from, from South America he's only 19 temps there's a bit of a gamble there so uh, do we have to really probably rely on wood realistically, unless we can go out and get Batshuayi or find 20 million quid down the back of the sofa? Well, we've, we've got a, a market intelligence in, in Brazil, which has proved very successful 
uh, the last three times we've 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 dipped into it. So I, I'm excited about any prospect that we pull out of there because wherever that information is coming from, uh, it's it's accurate and is proving advantageous in spotting uh, rough diamonds that that can go on to become very very strongly established. Um, players on the on, on, on the world stage, and I, I genuinely believe Murillo in particular will go on to, to do that. So so yes, I do trust whatever scouting network we've got um, in Brazil. I'll add Nico Williams to that list of potential departures because I think it's in his interest to get a move at the age he's at and the amount of time he spent already uh, being a bit of a bit part player at Forest in a system that he can see he isn't suited to. So I think that's one that the player will be will be pushing for themselves. The striker thing's interesting. I mean, it was, um, Chris Wood is very much a Steve Cooper signing. He pushed really hard for him. Um, and before that injury, we, we did see the best of, uh, of of Chris Wood in that in that game. It was his best performance for, for Forest before um, he had that unfortunate disappearance. Uh, again, Origi appears to be a be a miss. He had that shot on target, didn't he, in the dying seconds against West Ham? But I don't think he's a guy that we're going to trust anytime soon. So I think um, strengthening the, the 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 striker options would be my priority um, in in January, even if that is a loan move. Given that Taiwo has been identified as the man, and upon his return from AFCON he'll be straight back in that spot so pleasing that the rumour mill is whirring and we're looking at strikers um, Chris Wood does deserve the, the first crack for me I don't think Origi's anywhere near uh, and I'd be excited if we were able to pull somebody in even if it was a relative unknown from Brazil mm. Chris Wood still derives people in the comments in fact the comments are mostly negative about him today he's actually won me over this season a bit I think the trouble is he's not Taiwo, he's not mobile, but he's he's done a job. He's got a couple of goals. So, yeah, he's okay, but there is a huge drop-off. I mean, is Taiwo an elite Premier League striker already, Mark, do you think? There's not many like him around. He could, he could, get, he could get into a lot of Premier League teams, couldn't he? Yeah, I don't think he's there yet. I think there's the, 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 the raw material, though, is, is outstanding. The athleticism that he's got and, and his composure that he shows when given chances... Is coming on his progress. I think when he first arrived, he was a bit, he was a bit headless. Um, he obviously had the pace and the and the energy up front, and uh, he wasn't holding the ball up efficiently. I think he's come on a lot in that respect, though. I think now when the ball goes up to Howany, I expect him, I expect him to stick. We saw the other day when when him and Alanga had that uh, partnership, when they almost walked through the the West Ham defence. That kind of epitomised how Howany has come on. That first touch, that awareness of players around him to lay the ball off. And also the running off the ball was impressive in that little cameo. So I think that he's progressing at a, at a rate that would suggest that this time next season we're going to have we're going to have people sniffing around for sure. I think he is a twenty-goal striker in the making. Don't think he's there yet, but there's no question he's absolutely vital to how we set up. Um, and I think that that that's my biggest concern going into that Afcon period is that we will miss him because of the role that he plays. Mm. Um, there's a question from Richard that I don't know the answer to, but I'll put it up because people might be interested. About South American qualifiers for the Olympics, we have to reach Murillo and Danilo. I suspect not. I think Premier League clubs will find a way to keep them. So, yeah, one to monitor. Um, there was another question here, Temps, and I can't find who asked it. The uh, filling in the corners of the city ground came up before, and now they've got this world, you know, the World Cup thing with the shipping containers. Um, is, what do you think about it? It's a temporary measure, I guess, or is it a long-term measure? What do you reckon? 
Well, we haven't really heard from the the new chairman in this regard yet, who's uh, uh, a recognised expert in in development of major building and infrastructure projects. But we we do know um, from projects elsewhere that rebuilding that main stand is is fifty to sixty million straight off the bat. So any opportunity they will find to fill in a corner. Um, to develop the fan zone, to do whatever they can do to to drive incremental commercial revenue to make us even more of a force relative to those teams we play against in the Premier League, um, they will do. So my instinct is that those those smaller projects, those filling in the corners, those adding seats here and there, improving corporate facilities, whatever it might be um, to, to drive commercial income uh, will be imp- implemented and it's far easier to implement than a main stand project tied to massive blocks of residential um, housing on the on, on the banks of the river. It, it's word on for so long that we we can all see that the complexity of that. And one thing we know our owner has um, lit a lot of is patience in a positive sense. He wants quick action. He wants quick improvement. He's prepared to, to finance it. And if there's steps he can make to get towards the, the the end goal, then he'll he'll take them. What what I would take from any kind of um, development of the city ground is a firm indication that that's where we're gonna we're, we're gonna stay. We're gonna move away from this debate about uh, brownfield site on the on the edge of town and and commit to um, getting that place towards forty thousand cap uh, to to allow us to compete with uh, more sides in the in the Premier League so what's my hunch I think we'll see us fill in a corner long before we build a new main stand mm-hmm. uh, it was Simon Alton who asked that question by the way so it's, uh, if you couldn't find it but thank you for that one Simon right I think we'll probably uh, leave it there uh, anything you want to add before we depart Mark no just on that point though I think anything that gets us more tickets and, and you know improves the atmosphere in the city ground not that it needs improving is going to be a big plus right so getting getting more bodies more voices in that ground is only going to help us every time I I drop in on away fans doing stuff on YouTube they always talk about how noisy we are how loud it was um and and we've said before there's no doubt that has an impact on the opposing fans it keeps them quiet it keeps them reduces them being a factor but it also impacts the away team. We don't know how much, but it does have an impact. So getting towards that 40,000 capacity will be huge for us, not just for the city because more people can come and watch the games, but also increases the role that the atmosphere has. And I just don't want that to drop. So anything we do to get keep that up and strengthen it even more is, is a win for me. Temps, anything from you before we move on? I was just going to say, I'm going to get in the habit of contacting Mark for stats before every podcast appearance. I think that the how you see a player and how you frame what they're, what they're good at, you, you, you've got to watch a game every 90 minutes, but looking at the numbers is important too. And framing Dominguez as a defensively effective player, despite his advanced position, shows the value he brings to the team because that is high turnovers. That is winning the ball unexpectedly. That is us becoming a, a pressing side uh, and a massive demonstration of, of how effective he's been in that. However, if you whack a straight pass against a six foot eight lad in centre mid and the opposition score from it, Coops is still going to hoik you at half time and, and have, a, have a stern word. So mm-hmm. really interested to see the next team that we pick. Really interested to see if, if he reverts to two wingers or tries to accommodate Morgan Gibbs-White or stick to the status quo, um, but so many reasons to be positive. And I, I, I will back us to uh, to win our next game. Mm, that was a good start about Polina, because Polina loves a yellow card. 
if a ref had booked him in a game when he really should and I would have won 50 quid on a bet but he really showed some leniency then well, just quickly should have we... got a red should have got a red at Villa shouldn't he I oh I know it. just quickly before we go Mark on stats obviously you do a lot of stuff around that what value do you place on stats versus eye test as you call it because a lot of our viewers might be skeptical around the stats but I see a value yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I just use them for like confirmation of stuff and and to and to raise awareness of things that perhaps I haven't noticed watching games. I mean, you can't watch every game, and you can't watch every player on the pitch, even when you watch a game. So I think what the data does, and we know that clubs use it. I mean, like clubs, base, some clubs base their entire scouting network on data. And I won't mention Brentford because I know it upsets Greg, but yeah. So there are teams out there who rely on data heavily. Um, as a as a as someone, I mean, I on the website that I built, I bought Optostats, you know, to that website years and years and years ago. So I was like one of the, the first to jump on data as something that could be used in, in what I did in fantasy football. Since then, it's crept into the mainstream of football. We're seeing it on Match of the Day now and XG turns up on there every week, right? So I, I stand by using it as a, as a tool to raise awareness, but I don't, it doesn't replace watching matches for me or watching players for me. Yeah, we scout players using both the data and using scouts to go and watch players playing matches. And that's how I approach it as well. It needs to be twofold. You can't you can't have one without the other. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. You get more of that on FPL Black Box if you play FPL on is it tonight? No. No, I won't be anyone this week. We take a break, an international break, but we'll be back next week if I can fix my setup. I'm not gonna be on an iPad on Black Box, that's what <laughs> <laughs> we'll check it out people if you haven't checked it out before uh, thanks to everyone who's watched along lots of comments very much appreciated me and Greg are off to the uh, Football Content Awards tonight so I'll report back if we win I don't think we will we're up against some good massive... luck with that Matt I'm, I'm rooting for you well thank you yeah well you're up as well you just can't be there so no we can't be you. there but we'll see yeah yeah, you can go yeah. up on his behalf and make a speech. You can accept on behalf of Mark, Matt, and do a Gwyneth Paltrow. I might do if I lose out on two awards tonight. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to get some adulation for something I've had nothing to do with. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks very much to everyone who's watched along. Temps, thank you. Cheers, chap. See you soon. Mark, thank you very much. Lovely. Thanks, thanks, uh, Matt. It's great to be on. Uh, yeah, you'll be back with us some more, hopefully. Uh, we shall be back uh, next week previewing the uh, Brighton game. So do join us for that. In the meantime, have a few good few days and we shall see you soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.